dates with, I think, walnuts stuffed in them and wrapped in bacon. Okay, we've alienated 20% of the audience, but Maybe the other 30. 80% probably would like lunch. I searched for dates in stock photography, and this is what I came up yeah. with. This is also, by the way, maybe an example of culinary scope creep. Paul. Hey, it's a webinar. It is a webinar. Oh, yeah. Thank you all for joining us on this beautiful Thursday in New York. We are actually in the office in New York City. We are in the office. We have people helping us. It is just magical. You are all attending Steadfast Against Scope Creep. <laughs> this is a live webinar post-light podcast. We'll I'm get to what all that means. I'm ready. You ready, Paul? I'm ready. Here we go. We are recording this event. It'll end up on YouTube. As we go, if you've got questions, type them into that Zoom chat window. If there are questions that are worth answering, yeah. uh, we will answer them. Feel free the to confront us a little bit. We're fine with it. Who are you, Paul? Oh, good question. So, Rich, you and I are the co-founders of Postlight. That's right. Now, we used to have different roles. I used to be the CEO yeah. and you used to be the president. That's right. Last time we did one of those, these... Yes. Those were our roles. Yes. But now we're back to co-founders. There's wonderful new leadership and we're free to just run our mouths all over the place again. Sort of. Sort of. A little Post Light is a digital product studio. We're based in New York City, but we are truly everywhere now. I think we have more people outside of New York than in New York. I think that's right. This is a photo from when we were all together. This is 2018. You can actually see COVID being transmitted in that photo. In this photo, yeah. exactly. We build really cool things, technology platform. We have designers, engineers, product managers, lots of great case studies on the site. And there's, um, there's a hundred of us now. There is a we do. We do a lot. Paul. And a lot of our work is, it used to be very focused on building the thing. Mm -hmm. As we've grown, there's a lot more strategy, a lot more, more conversation, yeah, help you decide what you should do next. Prototyping and design exploration and, yes. and sort of all held together by uh, product strategy. Yes. So we make the big things. With this computers. is the array of big brand logos. Oh, look at that. Boom. Look at that. You know you can trust a company when they can put logos yes. on a screen like that. This is part of a podcast. We've done 300 episodes, Paul. No wild. That is wild. That's that is wild. wild. The podcast started in 1966. It is. It was amazing. Bob Dylan was one of the first guests, and he yes. he came on and just he just yelled at us. It was you terrible. can find us on any uh, podcast, podcast medium. medium. Yeah. Thank you, Paul. Yeah, because we listen um, to a lot of podcasts. You can tell. <laughs> Overbite. Uh, Overbite is one, I think. Check um, us out. It's cast it's, a lot. It's, it's a That's, really good uh, podcast. Yeah, those are good, Paul. Tell us about Catalyst. Catalyst. It's a, you know, when you hit a certain point as an organization, that's the time in your life when you have to write a white paper. And so mm -hmm. we have done a few. This is our attempt to gather all the information that we have about how to ship software inside of big organizations, not for profits, for profits, governments, whatever, where they just don't want to ship new software. How do you do it? Because we do a lot of it. And this particular conversation about scope creep actually comes out of this yes. white paper. Notice at the bottom there's a URL. What does that say to you? That you can go get it for free. Oh my God, for free. You just threw that in there. Yeah. I guess what the hell? Let's take off that fantastic it's price tag and that, just give it away starting a year ago or today. This is the end of our shameless self-promotion. Is um, it? 
It, well, no, it never really <laughs> no, ends. never ends. All right, let's get into it. Paul, do you know where this is? Somehow I have learned where this is, but I'm going to just, from context clues, what I would assume is it's close to a bridge somewhere. It's got a It's called the Bridgeview Diner. It's the Bridgeview Diner in okay. Bay Ridge, Brooklyn. I grew oh, up in Bay Ridge, boy, Brooklyn, Paul. That never comes up. Do you know what's cooler than New York City diners, Paul? Oh, God, look at that. Diner menus. Look at that. Look at from the griddle. It's like a hierarchy with bullet points and options. At once you go, There are like 20,000 potential griddle-based breakfasts in that rectangle. There's a lot going yeah, on. That's there. what I like to see. I'm bringing this up because I want to tell you a story about someone I hired Okay. Uh, years ago. Okay. He wanted to be a product manager or a project manager. And he said, I want to do this. And I think I can do a good job. And I said, look, I'm sorry, Jim. Jim's not his real name. I'm using a different name. Okay. You don't have any experience. He's like, well, I worked at a diner. Do you know how much change I have to deal with? I said, what do you mean? He said, nobody orders breakfast off the menu. Everybody's got specific things they want. Oh, so 20,000 their- options, not enough. People still want like- They still tweak it. Light rye toast. And you gotta be on your feet and you gotta deal with Can change. Can you swirl the eggs? I like a swirled egg. That's right. Yeah, how'd it go? Jim is, yeah, I hired him. Okay. I just love the pitch and uh, he's had a very successful career as a project manager. No, okay, so just from, yeah. from diner to product manager. Exactly. So before we get into how to deal with did, did you scope tip them? Creep. Uh, you, <laughs> okay, no. scope. Sorry. Go ahead. Uh, you first have to scope. What is scope? Right. Scope. You see a person signing a document here. Above implied is that kind of menu, that outline of all the things that we promise we're going to do for you. It's the handshake. That's right? right. You've agreed to do a thing. What's the handshake written on paper signed that you're contractually obligated to deliver? Correct. So yes. you're going to get a certain thing for a certain amount of money. Okay. Or so, if, if it's so. internal, it's a certain amount of budget. Sometimes you have to clear budget to get the thing. All good. We just agreed. It's no, done got- now. It's done. We did it. Well, we have a common understanding of a goal. Fantastic. And then what happens? Uh, who is this? It's the stakeholder. Okay. It looks like the stakeholder's child, but it's actually the stakeholder. It's actually the stakeholder. And someone shows up. You've written down this beautiful thing. You figured it all out. Yep. And you signed it. The ink mm-hmm. is wet, but mm-hmm. drying. And now someone has a big idea. And that's what this is, right? You all agreed on one thing, but now the stakeholder wants to add more to it or wants to change something. Sometimes they just want to change stuff. It's a damn, damn shame every time it happens. Well, it's not. We're going to get to that. Okay. It's worth noting, we are experts, and we are experts not just because we've shipped many, many things over the years. We are experts because as an agency that you hire for money, yes, that you can fire anytime you want, you can call anytime you want and yell at them about how things need to be better, you are actually in an incredibly compromised position. We're vulnerable. Always. That's Always. the point. And we charge more for that vulnerability. And often people would like us to go home so they get us out of the room so they could do the stuff themselves, right? Like in the beginning of a relationship, yes. like we have to earn trust, build the relationship, lock in and deliver, or we would get sent home. That's right. So our entire existence is predicated around building that relationship. And there is nothing more terrifying than moving the goal line on oh boy. an agency. Because you're going to have to come back and tell people here like, yeah, they want this. And it's I'm not, a lot yeah. of blocking. Yeah, yeah, a lot yeah. of, yes. Paul, do you know what this is? I do because I like to ride my bike and walk around New York City. And you see these all over the place on construction sites. 
This means a new elevator is getting installed. New York City is constantly getting rebuilt. It's just under construction. It's constantly it's, falling apart. It's constantly falling apart, but it's also constantly getting, yep. you know, a restaurant's getting replaced by another restaurant or That's whatever right. it may be. And so there's a few things you can do before you start the work. Okay. That I think can help you. Okay. Fend off scope creep. So what, what was the uh, search that you used to get this image? This is iStock photo. I typed in dog in suit, Paul. Sure. Of course you did. All right. Well, here we go. Before you start. So take the time, sit down with the stakeholder and talk through what they expect. Good advice. Seems a little common sense to me. Write it all down. This is your scope. The more detail, the less ambiguity. The less ambiguity, right. the less exposure. You know, you used to practice law. This makes a lot of sense to me. Yes, there's actually a clause that's mm. commonly put in contracts called the merger clause, which essentially means that whatever we agreed on is all entirely here and nowhere else. So there's no, if I even if I said that morning, we're going to put a purple hat on all the dogs. It's not in the paper. It doesn't say it's purple hat. It's not in the contract. Hat. Okay. It's not, that's you the, can't come to me later and say, but we talked. That's the merger clause. That's the merger clause. Okay. Now, the thing is, there's, I'm going to put a red asterisk here. Oh, so we're going to come back to there this. There it is. There's some typical lawyer stuff. Exactly. Another nice, beautiful piece of what stock was the, photography. What was, the stock, what was the search term for this? Baby shoes. That's a little un, un, unexciting. Sorry, everybody. Buy shoes one size bigger for your nine-year-old client. Yeah, it's, this thing's good. You know it's going to be bigger than they need, right? Don't be deceptive, but give yourself some wiggle room. There's going to be things that are happening. This is going to come into, uh, we're going to get into They're this They're going to want analytics on. on the website, and they, they didn't really have a special kind. Exactly. You know? and just to, you're exactly. Gonna, there's going to be a week here and a week there, and it's going to add up. That's right. We've come to terms. We've signed on the dotted line. Here we go. Uh, who's it? What was the search for this? I think sleazy sales guy. This just think, looks like a guy who does summer stock, who's like trying to get a little money from stock photography. He is, yeah. actually. So then they come in with that change. Okay. They come in and they ask for a thing. And this is going to happen. You've got some people who are pretty excited about the project. Of course. Right? And a lot of times it's a lousy idea. So I, I want to share, like this is... Someone that vacationed in uh, they went yeah a little Germany the German came plus back inspired American suburban experience and that's pretty exciting. This what is a bad change. Oof! What happened there? Is that that's a Rolls Royce? I'm gonna say concept car of some kind. I hope so. It's a bad scene. It's not going. We should tell people this was supposed to be a metaphor. And while we were rehearsing, my son came up behind us and was like, "That's the coolest car I've ever seen." He was pretty yeah, blown. He away. was really blown. Yeah. Away. Now this what, is what am I even looking at? This is, I, I'm going to say, a liquid-cooled gaming PC that has lots of go going. Is this good? Kind of, yeah. Uh, yeah, okay. okay, you broke me on this one. The metaphor right. fell down. I, I would right. absolutely play... Mini donuts Bejeweled on that. Cheese curds and jalapenos with gravy. Okay, I know that, again, I know the case you're trying to make. Have you ever been this drunk? No. I've been this drunk. Yeah, I've been really? where you're like, oh, uh, donuts with the cheese or the jalapeno. <laughs> no. Yeah, it, absolutely. It, it stopped not, not eight donuts. years. Not, I'm a responsible it father. Stopped. No, I yeah. understand. Of course. No, but that you're just like, it's spicy, sweet. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Sometimes that extra thing is a really bad idea. Look, people are going to show up and they're going to have solutions. Software is exciting. It is exciting, going. and stakeholders are excited because their name's behind it, right? Oh, yeah. They've they been were... advocating for it. They got the money for it. Off we go. Well, they start to see the power that's coming from it, right? That's right. And they're like, I got to get in there. That's right. So before we get into how to attack this particular situation, we should talk about where the idea originated from. So 
where is where is that idea coming from? Then right. you, we just talked about pretty much the stakeholder being okay, so, inspired. So uh, software is under development and people are coming and asking me for new things. So mm -hmm. stakeholder shows up. I want every single one of the avatars to wear a little hat. Okay. So what do you do now? We have different approaches, Paul. Yeah. Listening though is key. You all you have to actually hear them out. You They're can't excited. reflexively say no. They're excited. Yeah. They're excited about the thing. They're excited about their idea. Yeah. You have to hear them out. You have to listen. If it's a bad idea, this is, I think, where you and I diverge. I say the words, I don't think this is a good idea. You do. You say that a lot. And, and it's, it's, it's really been helpful in our relationship. It clarifies a lot. Yes. I am more of a diplomat and I'm just sort of like, you're going to work through I it. I like to run to the whiteboard. Yeah. I like to, I've I, seen it, but it's not, it's actually not performance. I fully internalize the idea because I feel that it, it, it sort of deserves that. Mm -hmm. And then I try to make it work in the system. Yeah. And then if it falls down, then I report back and I'm like, well, oh boy, I'm sorry. Yeah. What if it is gen a genuinely good idea? This is actually where it gets even trickier. Bad ideas are simple to triage. Good ideas require you to prioritize and communicate all kinds of subtle stuff about software. Yes. And they're hard. Yes. And then we can get on dates. That's right. That's the key thing. So that's the stakeholder. Dates are one of your most powerful pushback levers. I mean, this is, if you spend time with Rich Yadi and I have, I have assignments from you. People who got behind a thing probably committed to other people. Yep. There are commitments that have been made and nobody likes to see dates slip. Nobody wants to look bad. It is a lever that you have. It's all schedule ultimately. It's all yeah. schedule yeah, yeah, ultimately. Yeah. So if you're telling someone this is going to affect the launch date, they pause and they hear it out and then they start to sort of calm down, right? That's right. If the ask seems worthwhile, you can talk about bartering. Like maybe we can take something off and maybe we can do less of this and more of that. And but again, it depends on the partner, right? Like sometimes they're going to freak out and other times they're going to be like, okay, this helps me understand the prioritization. Yes. And then, you know, can I still have it after? You know, there's, yes. there's getting to that relationship before the ask is That's actually right. really important. I want to talk about another source of scope creep. Yeah. I didn't know what to put in for technologists. But I had an just, array well, of logos of like React and, and, you've and also got Angular. We should just confess that you bought a gaming PC. And so you I did. I did. I'm little, excited about the RAM. Here. Yes. Uh, yeah, I mean, look. Let's actually go back to the Duke Nukem story. What happened with Duke Nukem? Why did it go 15 years? What was happening at the time was. So, not wait, wait, not before that, Duke Nukem 1 comes out. Huge success. Spectacular Platformer success. Platformer game, 2D. And suddenly, the, and so the guy who made Duke Nukem now has unbelievable amounts of money. A lot of resources, a lot of money, a great team. He's going to make the next version, and it's going to be an even bigger hit. Quake 2 comes out. Okay. He's like, I got to license this engine. He goes to ID Software and, and licenses it. A year later, the Unreal Engine comes out. He's like, oh, start again. We're going to put it on Unreal. We can't. Oh, uh, he just can't stop. Because computers keep getting better and faster. And this one is going to be even he better. He kept rebooting it. And he kept yeah. rebooting it. And look, they're all good ideas. They're all good frameworks. But in there, it, it took 15 years to ship. Something that should have taken two or three years at most. Talk to me. I'm a technologist who's telling you that there is a new JavaScript framework that absolutely should be powering this thing. Oh, well, first of all, that is amazing. I want to see it and learn it and understand it. That is cool. Don't Hold patronize on. me. No, not patronizing. I really do want to understand. But the, the thing is, is like with the platform that we're currently using, the way we architected it, yeah. I can guarantee that we're going to hit that day. And that's so hard to do, right? And I know that that thing does, but 
But look, you know what I'll do is I'll drill in on stuff. I'll be yeah. like, what about string processing? What about like, you know, you kind of go in and try to find. This is your approach. Where does it fall down? Because it always does. Yes. There's 20% that isn't done. And that's yeah. the murderous 20% at the end. Whereas it was something big like React. Mm. It's all done. Yeah. It's done. We yeah. know we can ship. Shipping trumps refining and retooling. Boy, right? does it. Yeah. I mean, we're touching on something here, which is that a good product leader, a good advocate um, is subtly saying no a lot of the time. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's what you're doing. That's part of the job, right? I want to talk about what I think is the most important source of scope creep where you do need okay, to so stand We had down. our technologists. We had our stakeholders. Mm -hmm. Now you've got users. Yes. If a clear pattern emerges, emerges after you've observed users using your tool, whether it's a, through a prototype or feedback or a survey, or maybe there's an early version. Notice this implies actually getting users to use the tool even early. Even a small group, Yep. right? Yep, yep. A key term here, a key word here is pattern. Okay. If one user is saying, look, I really need this to work with FileMaker or some something very specific to their needs, sure. and you don't hear that again, file it away. Don't just go and implement the change, right? But if you're seeing the same request from over different over. places, from different cohorts, then you need to take it seriously. I would argue that user feedback is the number one reason to impact the roadmap of a product. I mean, you're lucky when you get to this phase, right? Like getting to the users should always be the first goal. I mean, that's implicit here. Yeah, but it, it isn't always. That's the problem with scope creep is then the users get pushed out. That's right. This is a meta issue for the first two, which is... It's a wonderful framework, but will it get us to the users faster? That's right. For stakeholders, this is a great idea, but yeah. will it get us to the users faster? That's right. So now, Paul, I want to present the nightmare scenario. Oh, God, this looks really scary. That's what I was going for. Yeah, I'm really upset. I don't, want yeah. To go, I don't want to go through those woods. I want everything, Paul. Okay. Including the thing I just told you about last night. We're talking about software, right? Yes. Okay. I want it on the same date that you committed to. I mean, this is complicated. Including okay. the thing we talked about yesterday. But that was a really big thing. Samsung made a phone that folds on itself yeah. like a book. But when you do that, that's, that's not, nobody wants that. Nobody, I needed to work on that Samsung phone. Samsung shouldn't have made that. And I don't want to spend any more money. Where do we even go here? What are we going to do? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Okay. So we've had... You've tried all your tricks. This person's here. You this heard me here. out. This person's real. We've dealt with this person many times. You had this person as a boss. I did. For a couple of years. I did. Where I did. It, it just is their MO. They come to you and they're like, I will now descend on you like 10,000 bats flapping at your face, asking you for everything. And if you say no, I will stare into you with steely eyes and curse your soul. That's right. And yeah. I've experienced it and you've had to handle it. I, we're going to share a, a really dirty trick, Paul. Okay, so you know, are you going to hear him out? Then the, what? If someone comes to you real excited about a thing on a Monday, uh, Monday. Oof, tell them you're going to go talk to the team. Uh-huh. And you need a couple of days. When you come back to them on Wednesday, they're never as excited. I'll give you an example. Postlight, we pitch work. We send out proposals. Yeah. I've sent out many proposals. The day you send out the proposal, mm -hmm. that moment when you click, 100% chance you're going to get it. it. Can't wait. This is going to be incredibly exciting. Company can't wait. You wake up the next morning, 50%. <laughs> the attenuation rate of excitement <laughs> is incredibly high. Like it just, just slopes. Two weeks of silence. Oh, down to zero. We actually have a rule in the firm, which is silence is just silence. Because otherwise you interpret. Meaning it's not bad news. Just, just don't, <laughs> don't interpret silence. Just keep living your life. Yes. This is real. You give an excited person two days and that idea is less exciting. So this is a beautiful friction. You're not playing a game here. They've well, just calmed down. 
down, right? Yes. They just got a moment of, of inspiration and they just calm down. So we're going to keep talking. Oh, uh, this is the this is the killer. Yeah, walk us through this little. Well, piece. look, ask me for a feature. It has to work on flip phones. No, ask me again. It has to export to CSV. I can't really do that for you. It has to import to Google Slides. Uh, I can't do that either. What happened in your brain on, on the third time? Enough. Yeah. Uh, you're not going to, if I tell you no three times, by the fourth time, you're going to say, I've got someone who can help you. And you're going to parachute people into my world and destroy it. Or they start having conversations elsewhere. That's right. You so have the, you, to build some goodwill as you go. So what you got to do is let them ask and yes. get stuff. You, you actually get wins early if you can, because then you bank them. You only get to say no once you've banked some wins for them. That's right. Okay. But All right. Sometimes you just can't give them what they need. This seems like the simplest slide in the world. This was yours for me. This yeah. was yours. You were for born. You. you came out of the womb, and you looked at your mother, and I you said, said no. "I'm sorry. This is not possible." <laughs> <laughs> this, is, this is that's not true. But yeah, uh, look, I think what we're getting at it, here is you actually French, have yeah you actually have a lot more power than you think, especially if you're you're far along because. Imagine uh, the Renault. We're back to dates. We want it now. You want it. You're at 70% of the way there. I have some friends who are running their house. It burned three years ago. It's really uh -huh. late getting yep. rebuilt, pandemic, et cetera. They're moving in. Yeah. Doesn't matter if it's done. I have a friend who was doing a Renault and he moved in in a tent and it got done two weeks later. Yeah. 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 yeah it's yeah. just that moving on. You really, want to finish it up. Yes. Right. All right. So, Paul, guess who I'm going to show you next? Do you know who this person is? You know, I've never seen this deck before, or even actually been to this company before. So I don't know. Why don't you tell me? This is M. Night Shyamalan. Oh, that's a twist. This is a plot twist. Yeah. This guy is known for making movies where you're watching the movie and, and then it gets fine. really bad. Then the movie becomes terrible. Well, it turns yeah. out everyone's dead that you've been okay, watching. Okay, all like, the time. Oh, wow, yeah. what a twist. He did the one where it's like they go to the beach, but you get old in one day. At the beach? Yeah. That's actually too much sun. No, that happened to me today. I'm actually 20. Anyway, <laughs> keep moving. All right. So, so here's the plot twist, Paul. Wait, you did a plot twist in a webinar? Yeah. Unprecedented. I know. That's change. <sighs> my eyes. Okay, change. In product development is not only normal. Okay. But good. It's a great... I, I've never heard anything like this before. No, wait a minute. Hold on. We have been saying all along... Fight how change. to say how, or how to say no, when to say yes. Correct. But ultimately, what we've been advising people to do is stick to the roadmap and stick to the contract. Defend the plan. Absolutely. Yeah. So now you just told me something different. And what you, twisted game are you playing? Software development is really, really hard, dude. And to get it right, nobody's working off an exact blueprint. I'm going to read a little legalese we put into every one of our agreements. Oh, uh, yeah. Okay. The below represents a high-level description of the scope of work required by this agreement. Oh, I love it. Okay? Yeah. High-level description is very anti-law, actually, anti-contract, because high-level description means there's ambiguity, there's, there's a lack of clarity, that there's still some things so we're going to have to figure itself, out together. The contract itself says this contract doesn't actually have all the detail. It says there's going to be more to figure out. How do you fit that in with the merger clause? You just told me about the merger clause. Yeah, I agree. Agree. Okay. What we're acknowledging here is that to make really good software, we have to be flexible. It's going to change. It's going to change. It's going to change, and it's going to change because you might find ways to do things faster, or you might find that things that seemed absolutely obvious are really difficult. I mean, the the classic example is like you know, 
internationalization, like the way that names operate or that mm-hmm. we need to use a Chinese script. And, you know, That's things, right. Things like that, which suddenly really add time. Here's, I think, the rub. You would think that that would expose us and put us in a very vulnerable place because a client can always say, well, high-level description, There's the details aren't there. I want that. But I can tell you over probably over 100 projects, six years, and many years before that, we've never had that meltdown. We've actually never been in that position where they wave the contract in our faces. Why? Because we're all aligned. We're all looking for the same thing. We're all well, looking to ship. But that's constant communication that yeah. gets you there too. Look, can you build it to a blueprint? Like I've seen specs that are essentially Excel sheets. Well, this is where like government gets in trouble, right? They get the blueprint, everyone signs off, and then the thing that ships doesn't work. And now the- Or it's just terrible. Yeah, it's It's just not good, right? And so if you want to build great software, it's hard to, it's impossible. I would argue it is impossible. Well, you know what you can do with the blueprint? You can like implement Salesforce. Yeah. You can like, yeah, yeah, you yeah. can take something off the shelf, make that's a right. list. But if you need something that's an experience that's like very connected to what you do. That resonates that the, with users. Yeah. yeah. You're in this position. That's right. So be open to those good changes. We haven't talked about them emanating from the product manager, the product advocate. That, there's that too. No. And I mean, look, we're saying, we're talking about something really hard, which is that actually you have to get in there at the beginning of the relationship to define this flexibility. Yes. Be, you know, like this is, it's hard if you just get plucked out of a room and say, can you go do that? That's right. So like, I realize how tough this is because you can't always manage the relationship from beginning to end, but the closer you can get to this, the more likely it is that you're going to ship something people want to use. That's right. Look, there's still bad changes. Still defend against them. There are. Ship sooner. Even if it's a great idea, if it's going to blow out the date, punt it. We'll get to it. It's a really good idea. We'll get to it later. Well, nothing beats live code in the world. We were talking about all these different contracts and relationships and understandings. And what always slips and what you always have to remember is that it's actually a social contract between you and and the user. The Mm -hmm. user is going to come in and say, oh, you've given me a tool. I'm going to learn how to use it. And I hope it really works. Yes. Right. And the minute that starts to slip, that's your sign that that's a bad change. Agreed. So- it sounds like we're getting giving some jumbled up signals here, but we're really not. No, this is actually, it's, it's consistent. It's just, and it's not easy. I think I, I want to say that, like, this is not easy to, to manage that relationship from the very beginning to have this flexibility. It requires a lot of trust. Yes. But it does mean you can ship lots of good software way more quickly. Yes. Than the more, like, let's write a 500 page spec document. What did you think of my plot twist? It Do you was, know what the plot twist is? The real plot twist? We're both dead. <laughs> no. Yeah. No, no, we're here. No, that's actually, really, um, yeah. Wow. And so, you, you, scope. You, we didn't do that in rehearsal. You just, oh my God, yeah. where are we going to take I, I this? I wanted to throw you off yeah. there. A little, All right. little improv um, comedy. We want to open it up to questions. Please just drop them into the chat if you maybe haven't already. Rich spent a lot of time trying to find the right clip of Duke Nukem because it's, it's so, so offensive. So offensive yeah. the game. And so, yeah. yeah. Uh, we have a little AV. Some of the most common early indicators of scope creep. Early indicators. Well, uh, look, that's a good question. This is from June. I think it's worth noting. Earlier requests are cheaper. Yes. It's way cheaper to ch- make a change on grid paper than it is to make the change when you've poured cement and put upstairs. One of the maxims in the firm is that there's no bad news 90 days out. You can say yes. like, hey, we're seeing yes. a problem. If it's three months ahead, everybody's like, okay. 
That's if right. If it's three days ahead, everyone's like, you've broken your promise. That's right. I well, No, look, I think that, you know, to that end, right, here's the really complicated situation. Let's play it out. When you're getting the specifications together, mm-hmm. you tend to kind of run around the offices and mm-hmm. it ends up like a ransom note. Mm-hmm. So the hard part there is to not just give everybody their own section, mm-hmm. but actually to bring all those things together into one coherent mm-hmm. piece and mm-hmm. then prioritize all of them together. Because what happens with with requirements and specifications is a lot of times all the different stakeholders get their own little little territory. Yeah, and actually that will suffocate the software. It can't survive. Correct. Being that for all those different people, so that that's one of the best ways that you yep. can kind of cut those requirements. Yeah, it means you need to go away with the Google Doc and sort of synthesize for a while. Yes. Another question. This is from Aaron, and it's a good question. They're learning that the scope that's currently in hand isn't a direct hit. That yeah. they're, they're not, you know, they, they need to be 10 degrees it. to the left, yeah. right? You Nobody know, knows how to save a file. Ultimately, everybody is trying to look good here, yeah. right? And so if you need to go have a hard conversation, say, look, it turns out we needed to be 10 degrees to the left, and this is some change, and we're going to move quickly on it. If you have that conversation, most stakeholders are going to be like, of course, we want to make this good. They're not going to say, no, stick to the plan. No, I want it a certain way. You got to back it up. You got to have real information that can speak to that. Right? It just all comes down to more communication more often. Right? This mm-hmm. is the classic agency model is like, I went away for a month and I'm going to show you my genius. Yeah. And yeah. then it doesn't work. Yeah. And now it, now there's nothing. Yeah. Right? So it's got to be these like, that's why the users have software just can't work that way. You have to get the users in earlier, and then you have to kind of like... Do not disappear for too long. You can't disappear for too long. That is actually the number one way to kind of prevent this situation. Yeah. And then you have your user group that is always kind of nearby, and you're gathering that feedback. Ideally, you're paranoid, and you're seeing it sooner than everybody else. Correct. But yeah, sometimes, I mean, things launch, and they go... Yeah. It does happen. That's right. You know, so have a plan for that, too. Yeah. All right, we've got another question. How do you decide when to do an additional client ask for free, if ever. That's one of our clients is asking that, I'm sure. I'm uh, sure it's one of our clients. We've got to find out who um, that is. Well, first of all, one of the, we should talk about this. So the way that we do pricing is not time and materials based, it's project based. Mm-hmm. It's I, I like to use the word value based, okay. meaning getting you the thing is valuable. And if you're thinking about this in a long game, in the context of a relationship, not just a project, Doing something for quote unquote free, right? That could solidify your relationship with that partner, that could actually build even more goodwill. We've said it before we've signed. It's like, look, we want this to be great. If this takes an extra two, three weeks, we're going to do it. And we're not going to send a change order over. This depends on the kind of work. Okay. So some, we don't have a lot of clients at this stage in the growth of the firm where they're looking to squeeze periodic labor out of you to get something right so it's like they're like you know they're not saying well can you give me that one more module just one more you're not getting that you're getting instead like the requirements changed for how we're going to do the newsletters yeah and i don't know how you guys want to fit that in very often the client is like i don't know how you want to do this and we're like we're just going to do it we're just going to do because it's so much easier yeah then like if something like that is structured and you can see it and you're like this will be like three days of work and it's going to be annoying it's actually easier to just do it than to scope it have a conversation and move things around it's worth mentioning what we don't do a lot of firms weaponize change orders they make more money they actually get in by underpricing 
They get you. They get you they, on the hook. They beat us on the proposal, right? Because they'll come in at like a quarter of what we cost, but they know they're going to make it up. Death by a thousand cuts, yeah. right? That's not our. But it's it's a grisly relationship. And well, people it's also just, not better product. No, and people side. and people quit those agencies. Yeah, right. They're just like, ah, that's God, right. All I do is tell people they can't have something. That's right. Yeah. That's right. What do you do? I'm going to read this out loud. What do you do in a client? They keep asking to negotiate the contract, to include more details about scope of work, define each party's role. The truth is you, you go pretty far, like you budge. <sighs> yeah, I mean, if a contract gets signed, you're done negotiating. It is the final distillation of discussions. Yes. That's the point of a contract. If they keep going back to the contract and seeking to revise the contract, look, a lot of agencies are like, yeah, let's do it. Here's we the addendum. Actual, it's an extra X million dollars. So if people ask for more detail, fine. Although, okay, so the first thing you do is you, you commit to the high level and you do actually flag that like, all, a lot of this is, is subject to discussion, but yep. barring other things, we're going we're gonna to deliver this. The other thing is that when, if somebody keeps going back to the contract right as you're about to sign, yeah. we have spiked those. We've said we're- That's a bad scene. You're already probably, getting a sense of it well, being you just, more of a cynical How dynamic. is that going to change? How yeah. is there, the the right. behavior that you see at the beginning of the relationship is going to continue. Yes. The way they negotiate, if there's no, if they keep sort of being like, hey, you know, you could just do a little bit more here. I'd like a little bit more. Yeah. And there's a certain point. If you're a young agency and you're under stress, you might keep going. But at this point, we're like, well, that, that's a breaking point. Yeah. Step back. How do you manage customers in large bureaucratic organizations who are forced to apply security or technology standards Ugh. that expand the scope, oh, even God. when it breaks the social contract. It's horrible. It's really hard and you have to do it and you have to deal with it. I'll tell you what, the only thing with that, and this is where like the value-based mm. idea is really mm. good. You just know. So two things, big organizations will hire you again. You're in the system. Mm. So going a little further tends to be okay yeah. because they like to hire vendors. Yeah. But second of all, you just got to eat it. It sucks. But you're gonna. You gotta eat it. I, I believe. You know, I'm a big, big believer in creating advocacy and creating yeah. people who are gonna help your effort navigate through a big org by putting it in their hands. Yep. If you disappear for too long, if it's a year now and no yeah. one's seen anything, yeah, that suspicion and those require you're you, you're gonna drown in that bureaucracy. But if you're able to arm people and get others excited, it's like, okay, here, let me help you. Succeed here. Here are the security things we got to just check off there because is this that. thing is good. But there's right? also, you know, and it's tricky too. Sometimes IT can not be excited about vendors. And this you're, is true. you're not really able to get that I, authentication. Yes. Yeah. This is true. This is true. Those are tricky. But you know what? You got to navigate to where the power levers are in those orgs, right? And then that pressure gets applied. There are very few times when you want to pull a ripcord. That's one of them, mm -hmm. which is I am not able to get any work done yeah. because of the policies of the organization. It's not that we're not in compliance or don't want to be, yeah. but I truly am stymied. Yeah. Where can I go and who can help me? Right. And the other thing is that people on the inside of those orgs do tend to be sympathetic if you outline pretty carefully what's going on because they've yes. gone through the same We've thing. We've been through it. Yep. Yeah. We've got a lot of questions left, Paul, right, so we're going to rapid right, faster, fire faster, answer faster. them. Ready? What process do you use for documenting scope and how does it help in reducing scope creep? Look, language here is important. There is always a statement of work. Yep. 
in anything we put together. It's still only a page or two, usually. It's still not super long. Sometimes yeah. it's longer, depending on the size of the yeah, project. Look, this is comes down to clear writing, clearly communicating what the thing is. But again, nothing is going to be bulletproof here. We you got to have a shared pragmatism we, around getting this thing shipped. We do tend to move rapidly after project commences towards the the product requirements document. Like there is a like there's another level of detail that starts to materialize right, where we really start to to flesh in all the pieces and prototyping Correct. can start and sketching can start. So so there's that. Any specific first steps or questions to wrangle a project going seriously off the tracks? Obviously, oh. this is a very dependent on context. I mean, they all kind of look the same though, right? It's like someone's unhappy, schedule is slipping. What are the other things that blow up? When something goes off the tracks, it's usually because they've asked for more time, yeah. almost invariably, yeah. right? And usually that's because the thing is either buggy or they need another round of fixes or whatever it may be. They've meaning the people building the software. The people building yeah. the software, right? We've gone into organizations where it was off the tracks and they've brought us in to That's put right. it they're, back on the tracks. And they're like, well, it's 18 months late. Correct. Okay. Correct. And we often know that we can't ask for another two years. Well, you really can't. You well, really and actually can't. be really mindful in that situation. Your best helper is just absolute sort of blunt honesty, even if you have to look really tired when you're mm -hmm. doing it. And then do not accept the sunk costs of the problem. Of the problem. Yeah. Don't say, well, I'm going to fix this in two months, even though it's 18, because they yeah. really want it in two yeah. months. Don't inherit their deadline. Tell the truth. Yeah. Tell and the truth and be transparent and don't assume that you have to speak expertise, language, and talk down to people. You like You got to just be open about what's going on. You cannot fix the past. How to stop yourself from adding too much information and shooting yourself in the foot? Is there a temp template you use? Oh, um, this is, I have, yeah, the template is have Rich sit nearby and occasionally just slack you like, hey, time to be quiet now. That's my template. My <laughs> template. Hey, you should, the feedback of like, boy, you just keep going sometimes, Paul. You really do. Maybe you should not talk as much in a meeting. So that was much, very helpful in the early days. Too much information. If anybody's weaponizing too much information against you, Something else is broken in the dynamic yeah. in the relationship, right? If you if you happen to be someone who's just very verbose in your writing and you write more and you describe things more, if somebody's going in and like using your words to get to gotcha you, yeah. that's a bad scene. Oh, like, that's I, not yeah. a I good once said that like we're going to ship a very boring ad tech platform for someone and they're like boring. Yeah, well, I, was, I had to go. Yeah, good good sales oh, practice there. I had to go Paul. get yelled at at Cipriani. Yeah. It was a highlight of my consulting career. What about vendor side scope creep? I've had some challenges being billed for exploration by designers or UX people who are just really eager to explore all options. Why the hell are they charging them for it? That's not how that works. They're supposed to be, that is supposed to be constrained. You know, that's exploration. That's not... A, pencils need to go down. Pencils, yeah. Yeah. Well, we, we've been there, right? We've yeah. gone on design journeys where we just kind of meandered and like, wow, look at this magical place. And yeah. meanwhile, we've just not validated anything yes. yet. And I think that's the pushback you that's have right. to That's right. What's give. the metric for success right here? That's true. It's always slipped. It's like, well, give me just another minute. Give me just another that's minute. That's right. Look, everyone gets in this situation. It is a little surprising that they're asking you to pay for that if there wasn't clarity ahead of time. Any pointers on how to combat scope creep when you're an internal team and the client is another line of business or department? I think a 
lot of the supplies. Yeah, and also Catalyst is good on this. Like, this is actually good. Catalyst, which is free. Free. At (laughs) postlight.com slash Catalyst. Catalyst. Yeah, it it does apply. Again, but we're back to like, did you walk the hall? Did you give them the little bottle of alcohol that they like? Did you share a fresh apple? Yeah. And say, God, this is tough. Yeah. You know, I know our teams don't always work together, but actually, I think I can talk to you. Like, do that. The question right after it is pretty, pretty similar. Any advice on... Managing scope creep with internal clients versus external. Every project suffers from incredible scope creep. Look, I think this is this is the skill of saying no and and defending an effort, right? I mean, sometimes people say, "Look, add time. I don't care. I want Look, it added dude, in." It's simple. Nod and then show up with working software. It really, that's the secret. Yeah. Absolutely, we got to do that. You're right. Everything's smart and show up six weeks later with something that actually moves around on the screen and isn't a PowerPoint, and you'll win. How much do you let your team know about these negotiations with the client? Do you protect them from it or let them in so they understand why the client might be a bit grumpy? It's a great question. For a great question. Good leaders do protect the team. Yep. I, I think you have to. You know what? Because otherwise, it, also, it leads to this very cynical. It, it's very easy to get cynical about the client's drama. Yeah. You'd be like, oh, here we go again. Yeah. And you actually do need to go in there in good faith. That's what they're paying you for. And yes. you, you can't internalize. They're paying us not to internalize their politics and their pathologies. Yeah. And so like in, in, in good faith, we have to go in and do the best work we can. Now, sometimes you'll hand that work over and suddenly all the politics explode. But the second part of the question is interesting. It's like, why is the client grumpy? Nobody's telling us what's going on. And it turns out the product leader has been shooting him down left and right. Yeah. Right. And yeah, that's yeah. tricky. So that's you got to talk to your team and tell them what's going on and tell them, look, there's some tension. You want to win them over, start to show them stuff, start to share the progress that's happening. It's tricky. That's true. Um, you do want to give them forewarning. They should, the client should only be kind of coming at you, not at your team. I want to go back to our trick though. I mean, sometimes you just have to hear out that client and that's half of it. Yeah. Hearing the whole thing. It's like, I need a half day with you yep. to walk through this yep. idea. That's half of it. That usually brings well, the temperature Well, it's really hard down. to hate someone for more than 40 minutes. Right. Right? So well just, put. Yeah. Yes. Last question. Can you describe more about how you quote based on value and how you define scope within a project that isn't time and material? Oh, well, I hope we have about six, six hours this for Rich. Is- so first of all, we, we have talked about this on the podcast before. We, we don't have a lot of time to really truly go into detail. We can dig it up and put it in the links. And then there's also our contract is public that we use. Yes. And so, so, so a lot of the infrastructure for this is out in the world. But Rich, this one's for you. Well, I mean, the engineers and designers that are listening to this podcast at Postlight would say, no, it's not for him. Yeah. <laughs> Look, this is about, we do, we do scope out against the team that would be needed to do the thing. Yes. Right? There's even a spreadsheet. But it's a rough sketch. It's real. It is a rough sketch. And then we come back to the client and the client often says, how'd you arrive at that number? You just gave me a flat cost. And we say, well, we're assuming this is four to six people. It ebbs and flows. Yep. People come in and come out. You don't need the same talent all the way through. We right. have this diagram that we, we often show people called mountainsides, which is, just shows that it's not perfectly clean boxes of phases. Right. Well, like a designer doesn't need to be on the project all the way through. No, of course yeah. not, right? So that fluidity, we're just acknowledging it and yep. embracing it and saying, look, this is, this is four to six. This is how we price. And this is how we arrived at this number. And what often wins it over for us is that they're like, okay, 
Now I know my budget and they're gonna give me this thing for that budget and they're not yeah. gonna kill me with change orders down the road. Postlight rarely does them. Yeah. Um, and that, and you have an advocate in that because we've committed to giving you the thing. And then you do that and you built the relationship and you, you keep going. But it can be a lot for people to process when we're having that conversation the first time. There's a yes. lot of story, storytelling that goes with it. Yes, that's right. Lots of great questions. Lots of you and me talking, Paul. I'm very happy this came together. Thank you to everyone who joined us. Check out the podcast. It's almost as entertaining as this was today. God, I want to have a live event, though. I'm ready. Would love to have a live yeah, event. We yeah. often have sliders and drinks. We want you all to come here and, and yes, have that would treats and whatever you want to drink. Yes. But this was good, too. It was great. And uh, yeah. It's always nice to talk to you for long periods of time. Uh, it hardly ever happens. Anybody who wants to get in touch, hello at postlight.com. We love um, questions. Yeah, we do love the questions. We're glad to answer. We try to answer. We'll use them for future podcasts. And uh, yeah, just stay in touch, everybody out there. It's good to have this moment of, of yep. communication. Thanks for dialing in? Yeah, sort of. Calling in? Yeah, dialing have in. Have a lovely week. Thank you. Thanks all. Bye, everybody. Bye.